Our journey back has been kind of a trip down memory lane in a way. Uh, I'm going to a passage this morning over in Luke 23. And as I, I pulled up the message from before that I'd preached here, and it was 25 years ago I preached the message here, and not this particular message, it's a different message, same passage. Um, but as I was listening to that message from 25 years ago, I was talking about the day before, Saturday, I'd been down with Lou Perks and his wife Gail, and they were celebrating their 25th wedding anniversary, and we had celebrated ours just shortly before that, and uh, here we are 25 years later, of course Lou is with the Lord now, and, uh, and here we are in the book, the same book, the same passage, a passage that has not changed and has great instruction for you and I. As we made our trip out to the, the Midwest, I found myself uh, reminiscing as I was going along, driving through town after town, city after city, made our way into Kansas, and then we were, we were heading back down to Arkansas, and I remarked to my wife, I said, isn't it unusual? And of course, we had, as we'd gone through, I'd say, oh, look at that town, used to be brother so-and-so pastored there, and Oh, remember the church that was there? And I said to her on the way out, I said, isn't it, isn't it kind of sad? So many of these men are gone. And sadly, many of those churches are in great decline. No longer the lighthouse that they once were. But I was thinking back through old men, and, and used to be I'd travel through from here back to the Midwest and I knew men all the way along. If I'd broke down, I at least had somebody to call and say, hey, bring me a can of gas or something. And uh, no longer is that the case. I'm getting, I guess, to the age, although I'm very young yet, um, <laughs> I'm getting to the age to where a lot of my friends are gone. We made our way back here to the valley, and of course we've driven a little bit around the valley. Things have changed here. A lot of businesses that used to be here are gone. Uh, some of the buildings still stand, some in disrepair, some have been inhabited by new, new businesses. And you look around and you go and remember things. And, and some of it I sure wish was back again. But then we come here. Some of you, we see some faces that we know and people that we've known for so very long. Thankful for your lives, for your faithfulness. Then we see some faces that we say are almost familiar, and who is that? I, know, I think I know that one. And somebody will say, well, that's so-and-so, so-and-so's kid, but they're not a kid anymore. <laughs> oh, my soul, they've grown up. And I'm watching these young ones grow up now, and, and I won't say anything about you old ones, all right? Um, <laughs> Things do change, huh? They really do change. And then I think about, as I used to walk the aisles, usually on Saturday night, and I'd pray for people in the seats, week after week. And now I look, and many of them gone. They're with the Lord. Thank God for that. I just wish I could have gone with them. Heaven is 
sweeter. That's Jesus I want to see. I want you to know that. But oh, so many friends up there now. My days are numbered. Your days are numbered, whether you think it or not. They will come on you so swift. And one day you'll look back and you'll say, what happened? I know some of you young folks don't think that'll ever happen because I sat in your seat. But it will happen very quickly. God has given us in Scripture things to remember, stories, if you want to call them that. Those stories are not there for our information alone. And by that I mean... It's not just so we can pack away facts and go away. Many a church is full of information. The people sit in the pews. They go to the Sunday school classes. They, they spend their time there. They learn the information and go back out. And as they get older, one day they're gone. I was talking to a pastor just this week. And he mentioned to me, he said, you know, I don't know what's going on, but there are So many churches that are empty of the young folks. The old folks are still there, but the young folks have left. Where have they gone? Then he said, you know, if somebody could write a book on that, how to fix the problem, they ought to do it. I said, well, I can write the book. The problem is, I don't think anybody's going to read it, and I know I won't get rich selling it, okay? We're still in the same age, a world age, that wants to do its own thing, ignore God, but give Him a nod, and think somehow everything will just turn out okay. Unless our churches, and I'm talking about independent Baptist churches like this, turn back to Christ, they're going to find themselves defunct and gone. Lehi is thriving because of the emphasis that we have had. She will die quickly when that emphasis is gone. A church is not about our meetings and our enjoyment of each other alone. It's about loving Jesus Christ. The book of Luke, chapter number 23 this morning. The passage is about Jesus on the cross. I'm not going to cover the whole thing, obviously. But I want to zero in on one passage, and I want you to, I want you to get the, the thoughts that God has for us here from three different crosses. Churches are filled with information. People think information is what will transform a church or transform a life. Information alone will not do that. The scriptures were given, Romans 15... For our admonition, or like we heard this morning, our our instruction. 
Not for filling our head with information so we can say, look how wise I am, but for changing the path of our feet and transforming our hearts. So as we come to this passage, I'm not going to spend a lot of time trying to fill your head. My goal is to reach your heart. And I can't do that. Only the Spirit of God can do that. And He will not do that unless you cooperate with Him and ask Him to speak to you through His Word. Father, we look to you today. I ask you that you would help each of us to not just hear the Word, but heed the Word. Not just gather information, but hear from you as to what you want each of us to do because of what we see in your Bible today. Help me to speak for you. Help me to lift up Jesus Christ and make Him center focus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 23, and reading there in verse number 39, Jesus is hanging on the cross. In verse 39, it says, And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? seeing thou art in the same condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now you remember the passage, it's, it's a common passage been preached on multitudes of times, I'm sure. Most Christians have read this as part of the Calvary story. But what's always captivated my attention is these three crosses, which interesting enough was prophesied in the Old Testament would take place. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross with nails in his hands, the two on either side without nails. But they used nails on Jesus, like prophesied in the Old Testament. And here we find these these three taken to the cross, and as they're taken to the cross, or to Calvary for it to be put up on their crosses the crowd begins to rail on Jesus, to curse Him, to mock Him. They have heard that He claims to be the Messiah and that others claim He's the Messiah, and everybody in the crowd is making fun of Him. Now, I want you to understand, we're going to spend a little time on this a little bit later, but we often depict the physical pain of the cross. 
I am convinced the physical pain of the cross was the least of what Jesus faced. There was the shame of the cross. He endured the cross, but he despised the shame. The shame was the emotional battle that went on on the inside as everybody jeered at him. But that even is not the deepest of what he faced. It's the spiritual side of separation from his father that from eternity past to eternity future had never and would never ever happen again. But during that three-hour period, the father turns his back on the son because of you and because of me. Because of our sin. These two male factors, these two criminals that are, that are taken and crucified on either side of Jesus, as they, as they go to their crosses, they are also mocking Jesus. They are both railing, not just one, both of them are railing on Jesus Christ. The first one, we find here in, in verse number 39, it says, And one of the male factors which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself. The first one is an interesting one. Here's a man, he's been marched to his death, he's going to die. They are going to ultimately use sledgehammers to break his knees so that he cannot pull himself up anymore to breathe and he will suffocate and die. That's how he will end the day. He knows what's headed, where he's headed. He knows what's getting ready to happen. He knows the life that he has lived. And yet, instead of stopping to consider, could it be possible that this Jesus is the Messiah? Could it be possible that He is the Savior of the world? Could it be possible that He could pardon me for my sin? Could it be possible that He could, he could make me right with God before I meet Him, before the sun goes down? Instead of even thinking that way, He rails on Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I suspect that most of you, especially those of you that have ever tried to witness and talk to people about Christ, you have met those who are scorners. You have met those who have, who have mocked the things of God. And if you'll search your own heart, like I do mine from time to time, and you're honest, you'll have to say, there was a day when I was in those same shoes. But as I look back on it, I wonder how could a man be going to his own death, knowing he's marching to his death, the Savior of the world right there by him. And he is so hard-hearted, so callous, that he will not bow. He will not bend. What is the lesson we learn from this man? And, and I, I think the answer is just real simple. It's bend the neck. You need to bend your neck. Do you know what the Bible says in Proverbs 29 verse 1? 
Well, let's just look at it then. Okay, since nobody will quote it for me. All right. Here we go. Did I hear somebody say they could quote it? Oh, okay, here we go. I'll read it. Here we are. Proverbs 29.1. He that being often reproved does what? Hardeneth his neck. Now, ETH on the end means he doesn't just harden it. He doesn't just harden it one time. He doesn't just say, ah, no, I'm not interested one time. But he continually follows this direction. Harder, harder. He hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Imagine for a moment, okay, I, I realize none of us enjoy correction. It's not something that we just, oh man, I get to get corrected today. Maybe somebody will tell me I'm wrong. I can't wait to hear this one. That's not how I live. I don't know about you. But this man not only refuses to be corrected by Scripture, but he refuses over and over and over again and refuses Jesus over and over again. Who knows how many times he's heard of Christ and he's turned his back and gone away. And yet here we see him at the end of his life and he knows the end of his life is here. And he stiffens his neck. You see, before you're ever going to come to Christ, before you're ever going to get things settled with God, before you're ever going to be prepared for eternity, and your eternity is coming quicker than you think. Death will come for every one of us. Not one of you will ever escape. And for the man with the stiff neck... He will harden his neck and harden his neck until even at the very end when he's getting ready to die, like this man, he doesn't recognize the truth of it. He's still waiting, thinking somehow he's going to find a way out. He's going to find a way around. How many times have I, have I sat at a deathbed talking to people about their need of Christ and they, no, everything's okay. I'm all right. There's no need. I'm, I'm, I'm taken care. But they will not discuss where their heart is at with God. Bend the neck. My son-in-law pointed out to me a scripture that he had read on Thursday morning in his reading before we left and over in the book of Daniel, chapter number 5 and verse 20, Daniel is talking to Belshazzar about Belshazzar's father, Nebuchadnezzar. Your first thought about Belshazzar or about uh, Nebuchadnezzar is probably, oh, what a wicked man he was. Built that big statue, wanted everybody to worship him. Now, I'm not too sure that that isn't in the heart of every man. Worship me, think I'm great. Now, you may not say it, because you're too proud to say it and have people come back on you, but that's what you want. Okay, think about that a little bit. Okay, I'll just lay that. It's free. I won't charge you for that one. 
And Nebuchadnezzar got so proud and so lifted up, the Bible says that his mind, get this, this was the phrase in the verse, his mind was hardened in pride. His mind was hardened in pride. He knew Daniel the prophet. Daniel would preach to him. Daniel would talk to him. And he knew that Daniel was a follower of Jehovah God. He knew all of that. And yet his mind was hardened in pride to the point to where God had to bring him down until he acted like a cow eating the grass of the field until God allowed him to have a sliver of light, enough, enough consciousness of his condition, and he repented in that field. God restored him to his place. And what a testimony he leaves behind. I believe he was a saved man. And he gives glory to God. Now, I say all that to say this, not every hard heart, not every hard mind, not every hardened mind, not every person who argues against the things of God is unreachable. This man needed to bend his neck, but he would not bend his neck, and he hung on that cross till he died, and he went to hell. But there's another male factor, another criminal on the other side. We read about him here in Luke chapter 23. Look with me here what he says. But the other, verse 40, the other answering rebuked him saying, Dost not thou fear God? Seeing thou art in the same condemnation. Now this is, this is, this is amazing. This is the man who was walking along with the other criminal, the other male factor, and they were both mocking Jesus along with the crowd until something struck this man to where he realized, this is stupid. This is not wise. I'm marching to my death. And there's something different about this third man He may be my only hope of redemption. Watch what he says. He says to the man in verse 40, again, he says, first of all, he rebukes him. Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? I wonder, do you fear God today? Have you you taken the advice of Moses In Psalm 90, teach us now to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Have you stopped to think about your own mortality, the the shortness of your days? Have you stopped to think about what it will be like on the other side of death? This man stopped. He realized that listening to this mocker was not wise. He realized that this man was not, (laughs) this other guy was not a man to be following at this moment, marching not only to death, but to eternal damnation. And he said this, 
We are in the same condemnation. You and I are alike. The one man, <laughs> he's got a hard neck, stiffened neck. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to pay attention. You're not going to talk to me. I refuse to hear you. America has become that stiff neck. So often, and, and I think this is why I love Africa so much, I find the people over there, many of them, soft-hearted, willing to hear, willing to listen, willing to consider. I talk to people in America quite often, and they are in the scorner position, hard-necked, hard-hearted, hard-headed, in pride. Unwilling to listen, only interested in arguing. Now, that's not everybody in America, thank God. There are some people who are listening, and there are people worthy of being pursued. But I'm telling you, America has become more and more the bastion of hard-headedness. And that ought to be, for you and for me, a matter that breaks our heart. The problem doesn't begin in the university. The problem doesn't begin in the media. The problem begins in the house of God. This man said we're in this condemnation together. Now watch what he says in verse 41 then. We indeed justly. This man not only bends his neck, but he bows his knee. We are getting what we deserve. I deserve to die on that cross. I have committed these crimes. I have broken the law. I've been sentenced to death. What I am about to experience is everything I deserve. Most people want to argue about my punishment is too great. They're like Cain in the Old Testament. This man said, no. I deserve what I'm getting. Then he said, this is how you bow your knee. Watch what he says. Then he says this. We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But notice what he discerns. But this man hath done nothing amiss. Now, I don't know how much this man's heard. I don't know if he's been other places and heard Jesus preach, maybe. He's heard about Jesus, I think. It's most likely. And he says, this man has done nothing amiss. He's never sinned. Do you get this in Scripture? He's never sinned. He's never spoken amiss. He's never had a wrong thought. He's never, he's never one time sinned in his heart. He's never sinned indeed. There has never been anybody like Jesus. Amen. And when you look at Jesus Christ, as this man did, you see the difference. I am not like him. And that brought this man up to the place to where he bowed the knee instead of, like most people today, arguing, well, I bet he's got a bunch of hidden things under there. 
There's probably some other sin that we don't know about. And even today, there are people who will go through the Bible and try to prove to you that all kinds of mistakes are there when there's no mistakes there in the Scriptures. And what are they really after? They're trying to cover things up so they can be comfortable in their sin. Until you bow the knee, you'll never come to Christ. Until you come to the place to where not only are you willing to listen, bend the neck, but now bow the knee and come to a, to a place of serious understanding of who you are and who Jesus is. There is no hope for you. Now watch what else he says. Verse 42, And he said unto Jesus, Lord, Lord, now, imagine this. I mean, he's on his way to, to Calvary. He's on his way to be put on a cross to die. And he's marching with two other men, Jesus being one of them. And he turns to Jesus. The people in charge are the soldiers. And he calls Jesus Lord. The crowds are jeering. The people are crying, crucify him. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, are mocking him. The other thief has been mocking Jesus. And he sees such a difference that he says to Jesus, your Lord. My friend, when you come to understand who Jesus is, it won't matter what the crowds say. It won't matter what the false teachers say. It won't matter what the governments say. It will only matter what... Jesus has to say, Lord, remember me. Remember me? Yes, I want to be remembered. But who's he want to be remembered by? By Jesus. Most men and women are busy trying to build out some kind of a legacy so they can be remembered. But I remind you, the most important person ever to be remembered by is Jesus Christ. Remember me, watch now, when thou comest into thy kingdom. What does he believe about Jesus? He believes he's the Lord. He believes that he has a kingdom. He believes that there is life after death. He believes that Jesus has control of life after death. And he asks of Jesus to be remembered by him. Bow the knee. Some of you sit here today without Christ. You're religious, you've got information. But friends, you need to come to the place to where you bow the knee. Recognize who He is. Be concerned about being received by Him. But now watch. That's two cries from Calvary. Bend the neck, bow the knee. But here's the third one. Jesus speaks in verse number 43... And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. 
Verily. Verily, there is, there is certainty here. I'm not, I'm not talking to you about speculation. I'm, I'm not reading off of all the, the different books that I've studied through my life. Jesus didn't need all those books. He wrote the book, and that was enough. Preachers would be wise to heed that. Now, I'm not against reading. I'm not against studying. In fact, I think preachers ought to study. <laughs> be nice if more of them would now, now and then, okay? You hear some of this stuff on the Internet, you begin to wonder, what in the world have they been smoking? <laughs> and driving across this nation, I kind of got an idea what they're on. So... And here we are, he says, verily, I say unto thee, what? How do you, you're the one being marched to the cross. You're the one being crucified. You're the one the world has rejected. And you're going to the cross and you're going to say, on your word we should believe it? You got that right. And who does he speak to? I say unto thee. Singular. I'm not talking to everybody. Oh, my friend, go visit a funeral and seems like every kind of preacher of the day will get up and preach everybody into heaven. It's not so. Everybody's not going. If everybody was going, then there'd be no need of preaching the gospel. There'd no, be no need of telling people, you must be born again. There'd no, be no need of us going to people to witness and tell them of the Savior. There'd be no need. But there is a need. There's a need because each one of you must make your own decision as to what you will do with Jesus. This criminal made his, and he, he called on Jesus. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, Verily I say unto thee, unto thee, Oh, I'm talking just to you. Not to the other criminal who will not bow, who will not bend. And what does he say? Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now, here's the instruction today. At the point of death, you will be in heaven or hell. There's no in-between place. There's no purgatory to burn your sins off and finally get in a better place. No such thing taught in all the Word of God. The moment you die, if you're born again... You will be present with Christ today. Today shalt thou be with me. With me, 2 Corinthians 5 8. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But just as surely as heaven is real, hell is also real, Jesus spoke more about hell than he ever did about heaven. Sometimes people will say, are you trying to scare me into heaven? If I thought I could, I would. I mean, I'll just be honest with you. I, if I could, I would. But I don't think I can. 
But I do pray that the terror of the Lord would settle on your heart by the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and you'd realize this is serious business. Eternity is forever. There is no second chance. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. I won't go into all the theology of paradise and whatnot just to say in essence at this point, paradise is heaven now. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When did this transition take place? It took place for him, this declaration of Jesus to this criminal before he died, yes. But he never got baptized. He never gave a witness. No preacher came and prayed for him. We have a practice over in in our part of the the world in southern Africa where they'll call everybody down front and, and gather them and the preacher will raise his hand and pray for them and declare them saved and send them away. Not much different than a lot of American churches today thinking somehow that somebody else's prayer will get you into heaven. It won't do it. It's got to be your call upon Christ. I can pray for you. Others can pray for you. We can desire you to be saved. We can plead with you to be saved. We can explain to you how to be saved, but we cannot make you be saved. You must bend the neck. You must bow the knee before there will ever be a transaction made with Almighty God. So what do we learn from Jesus? I would suggest to you that from Jesus, here's what we learn. That we should beg. Beg for mercy and grace. They are different. Mercy is God's pity. Mercy is is not getting what we deserve. He said, this other thief, he said, we are justly condemned. We are getting what we deserve. My friend, until you come to the place to where you realize that your sin deserves the judgment of Almighty God, until you come to that place and accept that truth from the Word of God, that God is righteous and right to condemn you, you're not in a place to hear about His, His mercy or His grace. I'm not, I'm not suggesting to you that those are things I like to hear. We were talking about rebuke a little bit at the Sunday school table this morning. I don't like rebuke. I don't know anybody that does. Unless there's some kind of a mental problem that they have, people just don't like that. But we need it. There are times when we need to hear the truth. And until you come to that place where you recognize that you deserve the judgment of God, you're not ready to hear that God is a God of mercy. Now watch this. This is what I love about Scripture, going through it and just seeing the character of God all the way through Old to New Testament. God is a God of mercy. His mercy endureth forever. Over and over and over. What is mercy? Mercy is God saying... I'd be right to give you all of this judgment right now, but I'm going to withhold because I have pity on you. 
You're so low. You're so, so bad off. I'm going to withhold my judgment for right now. God's mercy. What I ought to have, what God ought to do to me, where God ought to have put me long before now, He's withheld. I'm glad that God has done that. I'm glad that God's doing that with this man. Because it's a picture for you and for me that God is a God of mercy. It gives us hope that God is not just up in the heavens waiting for a chance to strike you down. That's not the God of the Bible at all. He warned both of these thieves over and over again. And these men, one refused, the other received. But watch what else we have here. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. There's not just the mercy side, there's the grace side. Mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. I'm going to withhold it for now. But grace is God saying, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. Paradise. With me. In heaven. For eternity. What God has for the child of God is grace. It's His help. It's His gift that you could never ever earn on your own. The thief on the cross did not earn it. He didn't do any penance. He didn't, do, he didn't give any money. He didn't, he didn't say much of a prayer at all. In fact, if you, were, if you were one of those who say, well, you got to say these words, you look at what he said. It doesn't quite qualify, probably. Let's see, God sees the heart. God sees the heart. Bend the neck. Bow the knee. Beg. Now, you may have trouble with that word. But we need to be a beggar. We need to be a beggar. Now, you may say, well, I'm not going to be a beggar. I'm not going to grovel before God. Well, it's your loss. Read Matthew 5 sometime, the Beatitudes, and see what Jesus has to say. I have found... That when I am low, when I, am, when I get down before God instead of up before God, that's when He meets me. And when I start to raise myself up like Nebuchadnezzar did, all of a sudden, the sense of God's presence begins to depart. Beg for mercy. Beg for grace. Now, this, this fellow here that gets saved on the cross, that second guy, he is there for a reason. He's there so that you and I do not despair. Do you know that people can get saved on their deathbed? At the last moment, it is possible for a person to come to Christ. That happened to this man. As long as there is breath, there is hope. My way of praying, and this has been for many a year now, when I pray for other people, 
and they're hard. I know that they may be hardened to the point they cannot be reached. But I also know I don't know if they're that hard. But I know somebody who does. My request of God, I know God will not break in and force them to get saved. God doesn't force people to get saved. He doesn't force people to stay lost. He offers salvation. It's a genuine offer to you. He wants you to bend your neck. He wants you to bow your knee. But He is not Allah. Now pardon me on the internet. He is not Allah. Allah makes people do everything they do. That's what they believe. The Calvinist follows in the same suit. God made you this way. God made you that way. You can't get saved and you, you have to get saved. And it's like, what in the world? What Bible are you reading? God desires your salvation. He will do everything He can to put Christ in front of you. He will do everything He can to call you to Christ. He will bring people into your life. He will will cause them to come across your path to speak to you at the opportune moments to encourage you to come to Jesus. But He will never force you to get saved. If you want to continue on like the first guy and not bend the neck, he He will not force you to bend your neck. But you won't, you won't go to hell because God wants you there. You will go over His broken heart. He calls you. He puts this man here as an indication, as a, as a hope, as, a, as an assurance that even if you're on your deathbed, there's still hope. So here's how I pray. Lord, I don't know if this man is so hard he can never get saved. I don't know if he's gone too far and he could never get saved. If that's the case, I leave him in your hands. Take his life. But God, if there's still an opportunity, if there's still an opportunity that he could hear the gospel again, that he could seriously give it consideration, I ask of you in Jesus' name. Not in Doug's name. In Jesus' name, keep this man alive. Bring witnesses into his life. Cause him to have to face his sin and see the Savior. Oh God, make it possible for him to be saved. I'm praying right along with the will of God, I know that. And if God takes the life of an individual that I'm praying for like that, here's how I take it. God knew They had proceeded so far, there's no more hope. And God said, enough. I'm willing to leave that in God's hands. He knows I don't. This man's here to give us some hope. Not despair on a deathbed situation. But one last thing I must say. He's the only one in Scripture. So you do not presume upon God and say, I'm going to wait to the very end. You would be a fool if you did that. 
You have no guarantee of a tomorrow, no guarantee of your next breath. Many of my friends have gone out into eternity never knowing that it was their last day. We've had people from this congregation called out into eternity. Loved ones of yours, people that I loved, they're gone. And we never knew that day it was their last day. But God did. Thank God for those that were saved, that were here, and we have some assurance. But oh, the, the hurt of the heart for those that we know that are lost who die without Christ and leave us with no hope of their eternity. Some of you sitting here are in that boat. Friend, I don't know what your tomorrow looks like or if you even have one. But I know that God holds out His hand today and offers to you His forgiveness, a relationship with Him, offers to you eternal life. And if you'll bend the neck, if you'll bow the knee and beg for mercy and grace, Jesus Christ is a God of mercy and grace. He'll meet you there.